Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 26. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. And you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. Talking about the tabernacle and then the temple. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is from Romans chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, the sermon text is uh, the gospel reading from Luke chapter 4. This is a, uh, this is a hard one for me to preach. Uh, not because it's a, a, a difficult text to preach. It's, it's kind of a fun one to preach. Not easy to understand, I'm not saying that, but it's fun to preach. But because when I was... Uh, when I was coming back to faith from being an unbeliever, uh, I, I was a good shepherd when this process was happening. And there's several sort of like in, in that story, which I'm not going to tell you my, that story now. But in that story, there were several like sort of big epiphanal moments. But also in that story, there was just sort of like this, it was sort of gradual. It wasn't, I didn't really have a Damascus Road experience. But one of those big moments where uh, I was just overwhelmed with God's grace was a sermon that Pastor Walter preached on this text. And I had spent the past uh, three or four years of my life prior to that just assuming that um, I was done for, that I was powerless against my own desires, that I had chosen a path in my life that there was no going back from. I had crossed uh, one too many bridges, and they were blown up behind me. And Pastor Walter preached this sermon, and uh, I remember being overwhelmed. Uh, I remember actually being emotional. I remember crying uh, because Satan doesn't win, because Jesus wins, and Satan doesn't win. And I had spent, I guess I had got it in my head that he was going to win, at least with me. And uh, anyway, so it's hard. That's like a standard in my mind that I can't possibly reach, and it's so it's hard to preach because I'm, you know, it's like if 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 you do anything, if you play a sport, play a musical instrument, or make a pie, there's always like this magical Michael Jordan figure in your head, or this magical, mysterious, the perfect pie that you're always like, well, okay, that's how I feel about this sermon. Anyway, just to preface it with that. Story of the temptation of Jesus from Luke chapter 4, being tempted by uh, uh, Satan. So look at verses 1 and 2 with me, if you would. And then uh, we'll talk about the actual temptations. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, returned from being baptized. That's where he's coming from. He had just been baptized. And coming back from there, uh, and the first thing that happens after he's baptized is he gets led into the wilderness. So here's this huge moment in Jesus' life where he experiences the power and presence of God in a spectacular way. The Holy Spirit visibly descends on him. The voice of his Father from heaven saying loudly so that everybody could hear, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And uh, the next thing that happens is that same Holy Spirit uh, drives him into the desert to not eat for 40 days and be tempted by Satan. Uh I guess we have, at least I have, I, I struggle with, and I know that you do too because some of you tell me about this, this notion that like, so as Christians, like we should have reached the point at this point where like we don't struggle with things. And that's just not the case. And one of the things that we can, this is not the main thing here, but one of the things we can take from Jesus' temptation is that being led by the Spirit and being tempted by sin being led by the Spirit is good, right? That's, I mean, this is what we want. Struggling with temptation, these are not actually incompatible in the life of the Christian. 
And, and I'm not saying here, you, you know I'm not saying, right, that temptation is good or that, you know, okay, so you're being tempted. Well, it doesn't really matter. Everybody gets tempted. Just kind of relax and go with it, right? Happens to all of us. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying don't be surprised when you're tempted. Jesus, it's safe to assume, nobody has ever experienced the infilling and power of the Holy Spirit like Jesus has. And yet he's going to battle temptation. And the book of Hebrews tells us it's temptation just like you and I have faced. The things that you desire, that you know are wrong, Jesus himself has been confronted with those desires. And as the book of Hebrews goes on to say, like us in every way, except for he didn't give in to those desires like you and I do. But those desires, those temptations that you face is not a sign that something's wrong with you or that something's deficient. Or I just, I guess I'm just not close enough to God because I'm still experiencing temptation. Actually, experiencing temptation is a sign that you're close to God. Not being close to God, I can just tell you that in my bottomed out years, I didn't experience temptation. I just did what I wanted to do. This friction between your relationship with God and the desires of your flesh mean that you are going to experience temptation. I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's not a sign that you are not right with God or that the Holy Spirit has somehow left you alone in the dark or that somehow your understanding of God's word is deficient. None of these things are true. Jesus experiences temptation. In other words, so uh, coming out of that, that thought is that this, is that the power of being led by the Spirit is not avoiding temptation. I think it's good to pray that you avoid temptation, but that's not what the Holy Spirit is going to do for you. The Holy Spirit is not going to clear temptation out of your life. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you to obey God and your temptations, but not to get rid of the temptations. Now, this obedience, and this is the third point sort of flowing out of those first two points, this obedience to God, let's circle back now to the Holy Spirit. This, the ability to obey God comes from the power of the Holy Spirit working with God's word. Right? We'll see here in a minute that what Jesus does is he, he's just filled up with the Bible. And when he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness, when he's confronted with temptation, he responds with what the Spirit has planted inside of him, which is God's own word. He quotes um, scripture three times at Satan. Right, so th- this is, uh, uh, in a way that I'm going to qualify in just a second, this is a paradigm for how you and I can struggle with temptation. Living the life of the Spirit, soaking ourselves in God's Word. The life of the Spirit without God's Word is just a freak show. God's Word without the Holy Spirit, it's just words on a piece of paper. But the Holy Spirit working by and with God's Word, that's the key to battling temptation. All right. This text actually isn't designed to teach you how to battle temptation. It's kind of a nice side effect. Let's move on now to the main point of the text, which is Jesus beating Satan, which you and I can't do. You and I are going to be tempted by sin, and the Holy Spirit and God's Word are going to help us to gradually, over the course of our Christian life, grow in obedience to God in such a way that we can actually start to fulfill the commands of the law by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are still, though, until the day that we die or until the day that Jesus returns, going to fail miserably at these temptations that Satan's going to throw our way, which we'll look at in just a second. Jesus, however, beats Satan. In this sense, this text doesn't apply to us at all as a how-to manual. 
you're not going to be able to quote scripture at Satan and he's going to turn around and walk away. You're not going to experience the desires of your sinful flesh and be able to say, what's a Bible verse that I can quote at it? Okay, I'm going to quote this verse from the Gospel of John. It's gone. I'm free to go about my day. It's not going to work like that. You and I are not Jesus. But what Jesus does is going to apply to us, okay? So let's look at these temptations that Jesus gets here um, in these next few verses. And actually, just let's look at just the temptations, and then we'll move on to Jesus' response. So look at verse 3. The devil says to Jesus, this is the first one. The devil says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So the temptation is to value the desires of your flesh more than God. To value the desires of your flesh more than God. Specifically here, the desire for food. Right? I mean, so Jesus is hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. And Satan says, you should get some food, right? Um, we are, I end up talking about food too much. And it's because it's the idol, one of the idols that I struggle with. I won't say it's the main idol, but it's one of the idols that I struggle with. The temptation for us is to fear food and at the same time to love food. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're either not old enough to actually cope with your own psyche or you're just completely blind to your own sinful nature. Maybe for you it's not food, but it's something else. Maybe it's shoes. Maybe it's playing golf. Maybe it's, maybe it's even, you know, maybe, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's um, uh, whatever it is that the physical desire that you both fear and love and trust. So, so you, everybody, every single person in here knows that Bobby, Bobby's open yesterday. And so we went, and my experience at Bobby's is the same as, as it always is. I uh, have, have uh, backed off from the large, and the decision that I faced was, uh, do, do I go with the regular or the small? And I experienced the same thing that I experienced with all my idols, the same thing that God says, don't give that to frozen custard, give it to me. And that is fear and love and trust. I love it so much. And I know, so should I get the medium or should I get the small? I got the medium and I know I should have gotten the small. And as I get the medium, I'm like, I want the medium. I want as much as I can get here. But I know that I'm going to hate myself after eating it, right? I mean, this is so, and, and, and some of you are chuckling, and I'm not trying to be funny or flippant. This is actually what Satan is doing to Jesus. And it's, it's not bad to eat bobbies. It's not bad for Jesus to eat bread, right? But valuing these things, valuing the desires of our physical flesh above God, fearing, loving, and trusting in our physical desires, I give my fear of food. I give my love to food. I give my trust to food. If I hadn't had, you know, I, we talked about it all day with the kids. We're going to have Bobby's tonight. And it actually, I thought about throughout the day. It's something that I oriented my life towards. That's the temptation in front of all of us. To value our physical desire. So God gave you your physical desires, right? The desire for food, the desire for drink, the desire for friendship, the desire for sex, the desire for money. These are all good, but when we orient them in such a way that they take the place of God, which is what Satan is trying to get Jesus to do, they become an idol. All right, here's the second temptation. Look at verse 5. The devil took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
Uh, and so obviously a supernatural uh, vision he's giving Jesus. He said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me and I gave it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So here's the second temptation. To make power and control more important than God. The first temptation is to make your physical desires more important than God. Here it's to make power and control. Jesus, I can give you the authority over the whole world. Now, Jesus is, Jesus is living in a realm that you and I aren't living in. Jesus is the creator of all things. What he desires to control is every square inch of the universe. You and I aren't like that. There are very, very few human beings who are the Adolf Hitlers of the world. Most of you, you just want your garage to be organized. And woe be to the person who messes anything up in there. Or you just want your schedule to be laid out. And if it gets thrown off for whatever reason, you kind of lose it. We believe, you and I, all, we, we believe that control and power, another example, and I give this to you all the time, I just want my kids to obey me. Why? Because the Bible teaches kids to obey their parents. No, I might, I'll throw that religious label on it to kind of make myself feel better about myself, but really, they're going to obey me because they're living in my house, and when you're living in my house, you obey me. It's about power and control. And when they don't, when I get the eye roll, or when I get the usually just the sort of the standing there glazed look, I lose it. Because I'm a, I'm a loving parent who longs for them to fulfill God's command to them to obey your parents and the Lord. No, because I want power and control. I value it more than I value God. I fear, love, and trust control and power in my own life, in my own little tiny realms that seem kind of harmless because they're small. I value that more than God. That's the second temptation that you all are going to face. The desire to put physical pleasures, physical desires before God, and the desire to put power and control before God. Here's the third one. Look, at, look down at verse 9. Uh, Satan takes Jesus to Jerusalem and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and says to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command His angels concerning you. Now he's going to quote Psalm 91, which interestingly enough, it's, it's the psalm for the Sunday. It's the intro at Psalm for the Sunday. We, quote, we, we read Satan's words to Jesus. which is, There's something kind of cool about that, that Satan used that text to try and tempt Jesus into falling. We're going to use that text as an act of worship, that, those very same words. But anyway, uh, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So, here's the, Jesus faces this temptation quite a bit in his life, which is, just so you say that you're a certain you have a certain relation to God. You say that you're the Son of God. What we need you to do is like validate that. We you know we can recognize that we can give you the notoriety that you need, but you got to prove it to it. You need to do some sort of magic trick. And here it's actually the enemy who's doing it. Sometimes it's his mom. His mom's like, hey, they don't have enough wine in there. Maybe this would be a good time to like pull out your bag of tricks and show everybody that I wasn't lying when I said that I was a virgin when you were born. Sometimes it's his disciples. Sometimes it's the Pharisees. Why don't you do a miracle for us? Then we'll believe in you. The temptation, this is, this is we all face this, right? This sort of like the need to be recognized, the need to validate yourself in the eyes of other people. Jesus, of course, I mean, we can assume that he was tempted by this as well. 
being, being taunted, being ridiculed, being crucified as a fake Messiah when he knew that he was the real one, had to be extremely difficult. You know it's difficult when you don't get recognized. You know it's difficult when people think things about you that aren't realistic or that aren't true. Jesus experienced the same one. The temptation to put your psychological needs before God. This need to like know that people respect me and you aren't going to do a magic trick to, to vindicate it, but to do something to prove to people that I'm worthy of your acceptance or your love. Or just that I can look myself in the mirror and say, you know what, you're an okay person. This psychological need is a temptation that you're going to face as well. The temptation to put physical needs before God, the temptation to put power before God, the temptation to put your psychological needs before God. Now let's look at how Jesus responds to these things. And I've already mentioned this, and most of you guys know this text. Jesus is going to quote scripture to him. So uh, back in verse uh, 3, the devil says to Jesus, if you're son of the God, make the stone bread. And Jesus answers, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And he quotes, quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 5. And let me read that to you now. I'm going to read you kind of um, the section around there. Now this is Moses talking to the wilderness community who have been in the wilderness for 40 years. And yes, that's not the first time you've heard the number 40 this morning. They're in the wilderness for 40 years, wandering around, facing this trial that God's putting them under. This is one of the reasons why Jesus is in the desert for 40 days, is because he is walking the same path that Israel walked. They're being tempted by Satan as well. And and Moses says to the people of Israel, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. God put you in the wilderness to test you to see if you would obey him. And of course, you guys know the story. They're they're no better, no worse than you and I. They didn't obey him. They caved into the desire to put physical needs before God. They caved into the desire to put power before God. They caved into the desire to put psychological needs before God. And Moses says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And there's the verse that Jesus quotes. And what he means is this. He doesn't mean that you can survive without bread. You actually can't. You need to eat to survive. But what he's saying is this, is if you imagine that food is what you need, you're wrong. They thought they needed food. They were very angry with God because they didn't have food. And God says in the wilderness, I can make food out of nothing. I can rain bread on top of you. You don't need the bread. You need me. I'm the bread maker. I'm the one who invented bread. I'm the one who longs to, longs to satisfy your desires. The bread is only going to let you down. You eat bobbies. You hate yourself. Four hours later, you wish you'd gotten the large. That's the way idols work. And God is telling us, you don't need any of that. You need me. And so Jesus says, Deuteronomy 8, Satan, I don't need bread. I need God. And if I've got God, he'll give me bread when he wants to give me bread. He'll satisfy my physical, he won't deny my physical desires. He'll satisfy them, but he will do that because he loves me and because he wants to be my God. Okay, second temptation, the temptation to make power more than uh, more important than God. Back up, back up verse five. Um, let me find my place here. The devil took Jesus up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'm going to give these to you. And in verse eight, Jesus says, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And he quotes from just a couple chapters uh, prior Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, where he says, Moses is telling the people of Israel, fear the Lord your God 
and serve him only. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. And what Jesus is saying to, is, to Satan is this, is that I don't need control because control belongs to God. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And that means that God is the sovereign ruler of your schedule or that cork board in your garage that you're so desperately protective over. God actually owns that before you do and wants to have control over it. I, I told you guys a story before about my neighbors who insist on driving through my yard. That's my yard. I don't even care. I, I told you, I don't even care that people drive on it. It's just weeds. It's crabgrass is what it is. But I'm desperately offended because it's my yard that they drive in. No. Fear the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. It's not my yard. It's, it's God's yard, and I'm not saying it's okay to drive through people's yards. But what I'm saying is, is that idol that you, you don't come into my personal space unless I, I want control over who drives in my yard. I don't want you just to do it without my permission. That's actually treading on God's territory. That's treading on Jesus' territory. He's the king of my crabgrass, not me. He is the owner of the universe, and so we give him alone that power. So, I mean, it's an idol. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be free from that desire to control my kids, to not trust God to take care of my kids, to let God be the sovereign of my family and not me. But that's what he wants to do. Fear the Lord and him only shall serve. Okay, let's look at the third one. Making psychological desires more important than God. Back down at verse 9. Jesus took uh, Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself down, do a magic trick, prove to everybody that you are who you say you are. And Jesus says um, in verse 12, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he quotes from just a few verses after the one we just read. Verse 16, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Massah was the place where the people of Israel said, we don't have any water. Why won't God give us water? And uh, God says to them, uh, this is back in Exodus, God says, why are you testing me? I'm the God who wants to satisfy your needs and take care of you. And he tells Moses to strike the rock and the water pours out and they're fine. And uh, here, Moses says, don't test God. Don't put God to the test. God answers, God answers these needs when and how he wants to answer them. You don't need to validate yourself. You don't need to justify yourself in the eyes of everybody else. You don't need to justify yourself in your own eyes. God will validate you and take care of you. Jesus didn't feel the need to do a magic show to prove to everybody that he was the Messiah because he knew that he was the Messiah and he knew that he was God's chosen one and he knew that in God, God's good time, God would vindicate him. He too struggled with this temptation. He did it in the Garden of Eden. This desire for all to be revealed and for the world to see who he really was. But at the end of it, it's not my will but yours. Don't test the Lord your God. Satan, Satan is defeated here. Decisively by Jesus. Satan, I mean, you had to wonder what Satan was thinking, like as he walked away. Because that's the first time that had ever gone that way in the story. There's two things going on here. There's two ways that the story of the Bible find their meeting point in the desert in Luke chapter 4. And the first one, of course, is the Garden of Eden, where Satan tempts Adam and Eve the same way he tempts Jesus, the same way he tempts you, 
The temptation to put physical desires before God, the temptation to put psychological desires before God, the temptation to put power before God. What does he say to Adam and Eve? Well, that fruit looks good, doesn't it? Doesn't that look tasty? I mean, that's what, this is, this is why Eve, it, it, it looked good. It, 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 it looked good for fruit, she says, or the, the Genesis 2 says about her. This desire to satisfy your physical needs. The desire for power as well. If you ate that, you could be like God. And we all want to be like God. Maybe not over the whole world, but just your garage. We all want to be like God. And Satan tried that on the very first humans, and he won. And he'd been trying it on humans, every single human since then. And it always worked. He tried it on the desert community. We talked about that. This is why Jesus quotes, by the way. This is why, it's not just that Jesus was probably having his devotions out of Deuteronomy 6 through 8. Uh, when he had this, and it was just fresh in his mind. Jesus is actually evoking this Israel community in the wilderness who failed, like you and I fail. You get the temptation, you always cave. Satan threw the temptation at them in the wilderness, they caved, Satan walks away the winner. And now here's a guy who is true Israel. Not the fake Israel like me and you are. You understand what I'm saying? We actually are true Israel in Jesus Christ. But we are failures at being a human. We're like the first Adam who gave into temptation. And now the one true human being comes along and Satan throws the same pitches at him that he's been throwing to every batter since the beginning of time. And now for the first time, the hitter doesn't strike out. And you have to wonder what Satan was thinking as he walked away. Did he know that this is a precursor to his final defeat? He had to know that I can't win this thing. Finally, there's somebody who's going to beat me. The enemy's always won until this point right now. And you, you and I are like Adam and Eve and like the wilderness community, like I've said. We get these temptations all the time and we fail. But the God who belongs to us, the Jesus that you've been baptized into, never, ever loses. He always wins. And it is guaranteed that he will finally, completely win. Amen.